Welcome back to Public Affairs and WRBH. I'm Lynn Koppel, and I'm very glad to be back. You know, we've all missed things, post, postponed things during the pandemic, even important things that affect our daily lives. And today we're joined by Dr. Michael Wolf, an orthopedic surgeon. Thank you so much, Dr. Wolf, for coming on. It's my pleasure. Well, and I want to thank you first for all the things you've done and uh, during this difficult time. And I know you do hip and knee surgeries, which are, and I've had a hip surgery, so I know it's very successful and really life-changing. Um, and I, I imagine knee surgeries are too. And it, was a, it wasn't an easy surgery to have at the time I had it, but I think they're a lot easier now. Now, if someone has been noticing, uh, say, unpleasantness with hip or knee, at what point should they contact you, an orthopedic surgeon? Well, we are happy to see anyone um, who has pain in the hip or knee, mm-hmm. uh, or actually all of my partners. You know, we have the whole body covered uh, with subspecialists in every joint. So, you know, you might talk to your primary care doctor. Uh, maybe they could rule out, you know, sure. some things and try some treatments. But um, it's fine also just to give us a call and ask for an appointment. We uh, are always available. Tell me, you're at Oshner, of course, and so they right. would just call and say, hello, may I speak to Dr. Wolf or, and your, your, you know, your people who work with you. Um, I think a lot of people are intimidated by the thought of going directly to an orthopedic surgeon or, you know, is this serious enough? At what point do you find, do you think it's serious enough to, to start? I mean, when it gives you pain, but are there other things that, well, what, what causes these kinds of injuries or things that when you need it? I know arthritis is one of them, but what are some other causes that they might be suffering with? Most of the people that I see have osteoarthritis. That's the typical type of wear and tear arthritis that Mm -hmm. you're used to hearing about. There are over 100 kinds of arthritis, but most of them are relatively rare. Some arthritis happens after injuries, and of course, we're here to treat joint injuries as well. Um, Of course, what I do is mostly hip and knee replacement, Um, but most of the patients that I see have osteoarthritis. We have a number of people who treat non-surgically in our Mm -hmm. group. So if people are intimidated by the idea of seeing a surgeon, they shouldn't be because, you know, there's nothing to be afraid of. Coming to see the surgeon doesn't mean you're committing yourself to having surgical (laughs) treatment. But we do have a number of non-surgical colleagues that it might be, you know, more appropriate or more comfortable for people to see first. We obviously have really ready communication with each other. We all work together as a team. So either way that you get into our sort of purview is fine. Uh, But most of the time, people that come to see me about having surgery have really significant limitations in their activity level. Uh, Oftentimes, starting to have pain at night that interferes with sleep is one of the things that really pushes people towards joint replacement. You know, it disturbs me, too, that so many, and I've read this, so you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, that many even younger, more active people are having these kind of symptoms. 
and we want to encourage them to see at the same time. So it, it is important to go right when you start kind of feeling these things and have them checked out rather than wait until something horrible happens, you know, or you, you're feeling so badly that you can't sleep at night or that you're having trouble going up and down stairs. Is this correct? The sooner the better, in other words? That's right. There's no reason not to go ahead and at least consult with your primary care doctor when you start having symptoms, if not come straight to us. There are a number of different things that cause joint pain that over time, if neglected, can get worse and worse. And you might be able to forestall or at least uh, postpone having to have surgery with certain non-surgical treatments. But still, as you say, your quality of life is so important. And I perhaps one of the things that keeps people from seeing someone who is styled a surgeon is because they feel like, oh, this is going to be a very, you know, intricate process and it'll take me a long time to recover and how will that happen? Can you walk us through, let's say we go to see you and um, you say, well, yes, we're probably going to have to do surgery. Hasn't surgery for particularly the hip, I've heard, changed an awful lot over the past few years? Well, for... Just to speak specifically about hip replacement, first, over the last about 10 years, we have seen a gradual shift in doing more and more hip replacements coming in from the front side of the hip. We call it the anterior approach. Mm -hmm. We used to mostly do these making an incision through the buttock area called the posterior approach. And what we found those of us who do this and a lot of the studies that have been published is that people do seem to have a lower level of pain and a faster recovery. Now, there are not at this point clear indications of better long-term results with the different approach, but there are certainly indications that the first few months are made easier. I have a strong suspicion that the long-term results are going to be better as well, Because when we do this approach, we are able to use x-ray guidance when we do the operation, which is very difficult to do when patients are lying on their side and we're coming in through the posterior side. So I think that this more consistent positioning of implants, uh, and of course some of my partners also use robotics to help place the components more accurately. So putting the components in the right position more consistently should eventually lead to better long-term results. But until we have long-term well. studies confirming that, we don't want to claim that. Now, as far as the knee goes, I think that this has mainly gotten easier because of advances in anesthesia techniques. So we have some really skilled anesthesiologists that work in our Oxner Hospital for Orthopedics mm-hmm. and Sports Medicine over at Elmwood. And they do a lot of nerve blocks. Uh, So it's not like the old days where people would just go under general anesthesia and then wake up with the worst pain they ever had. When we do these nerve blocks, people typically wake up with very little discomfort, and it is something that comes on gradually, and that's much easier to manage. So, in other words, things have gotten a lot easier. How, How long do you think it takes to recover now? where you're not back to maybe running marathons, but uh, in other words, where you can get back into your regular life. Yeah. 
Generally, uh, people with either a hip or knee replacement will walk with a walker for the first few weeks and then maybe use a cane for a few weeks. But by about six weeks, most people are able to walk without supports, especially the hip replacement patients. Some of the knee replacements at six weeks are still using the cane when they go for longer outside walks. Most people, actually, if, if you're not walking without supports by three months, then it's likely that something has gone wrong. Oh, so I generally tell people that big picture, it's about a three-month turnaround. You still can get better after the first three months. In fact, there's documentation of improvement even longer than the first year. Mm. Um, but the majority of the improvement that you see takes place in the first three months. And let me ask you this, too. Kind of set up for us, how do you get started with this? I, I know I've read in uh, one of the handouts that I've seen is they you one goes to a seminar where everything is kind of explained for the first, you know, and what the options are. That happens with your hip or knee replacement, doesn't it? Well, what we once we've seen someone and decided that they are going to have surgery, then we do have a class. Mm-hmm. It's only one, but it takes some time because we explain to the patient all the details that we want them to know about having their joint done at our facility, how we get them ready for surgery, what happens while they're in the hospital, all about their recovery, all that stuff. We teach them in detail, along with some written materials that they can study on their own. And then we also have a medical clearance clinic. So each one of our patients gets cleared, as we say, by their medical, our medical doctor who works with us in consultation with their medical doctor and medical subspecialists such as cardiologists as needed. So there is a little bit of a process to go through during that last uh, few weeks before surgery, but it's all designed to make things safer. Well, do you also include, say, the family or and things about how you get physical therapy or home help. It, do you all also do that sort of? Yes, that's a very important part of what we try to do. So we have each patient identify one or more caregivers that Mm -hmm. will be helping them out after surgery, whether it's family or friends, church members, and so forth. And we try to engage those people in the education process as well. We also like during the physical therapy visits in the hospital just after surgery. Mm -hmm. We like to have the caregivers there to see, observe, and learn uh, how best to help the patient when they get home. That's so important. I I just can't imagine how anyone would, you know, cope if you're in pain and can't really get around and you you do need help. Um, Also, let me ask you this. Do you give any instructions about pain management? Um, Do you I mean, I suppose one has to take pills or shots or whatever to kind of keep themselves going. Um, and, of course, that would be you'd need to, the family or the, the help would have to be able to do that, wouldn't they? That's right. So each patient has what we call multimodal pain management plan. So it usually involves multiple medications. Um, the narcotics are only one of which yes. and we do try to minimize that. Uh, For our uh, nerve blocks that I mentioned, you know, that patients Mm -hmm. actually go home uh, for knee knee replacements with the nerve nerve block catheter in place. So that is part of the multimodal pain management for several days after surgery. So we we do like to involve the family members in understanding 
how the medicines are to be given and when and all that. So, in other words, there is an education process that goes along with this to help people so they're not just, you know, in pain and having to find something. Let's talk about how we might – are there any ways that you can kind of avoid ever having (laughs) hip surgery or after it's working, keep from ever having it again, hip or knee? Are there – what do you suggest? I imagine – Losing weight? Um, well, what kinds of things? Well, the two things that you have within your control to slow the progression of osteoarthritis <laughs> are your weight, as you mentioned, very important, and the activities that you do. So mm-hmm. we recommend that people avoid impact loading activities of their lower extremity weight bearing joints, hips and knees and ankles such as running and jumping, but there are lots of different ways to exercise that give you just as much benefit without punishing your weight-bearing joints. So weight control and activity modifications are kind of the only things that we have under our direct control to, to help with this. People try to take lots of medications and supplements, but sadly, there aren't any dietary supplements or medications that actually preserve mm. or regrow the cartilage in your joints. False advertising, notwithstanding. <laughs> Too bad, is that right? It might yeah, be it easier is, is than bad. other things. And the other thing I get asked about a lot, excuse me, is um, is injections of things like stem cells. Oh, yeah. yeah. So this is something that's under research at several centers right now, but has not been FDA approved. This has not stopped people from trying to sell these injections to patients. And I think that people need to be very circumspect about having anything injected into their joint and definitely consult with someone who you would consider a real expert in the area like we are here uh, before subjecting yourself to anyone injecting anything into you. Well, I think that's probably a good rule of thumb anyway. Before you yeah. take anything, you should probably talk to your physician or your health professional, whoever you're talking to. Right. What about like shoes and things? Are there any, should we be really careful about what kinds of uh, shoes we wear and what kinds of support we have for that? I think that wearing uh, supportive footgear can be important to help control pain in the knee, particularly. Now, of course, with foot and ankle, that's a whole uh, very important part of what they do, and I have some excellent partners in that area. But as far as hip and knee pain goes, I think that the most important thing is to avoid falls. You know, a lot of folks that are starting to have significant pain from arthritis um, they're at risk for falls and the arthritis increases that risk. And mm-hmm. One of the things I worry about is people trying to continue wearing stylish shoes <laughs> yes. uh, into their more mature years, um, you know, for vanity reasons and, and <laughs> other things, uh, and actually increasing their risk of a fall that might damage the joints further. Well, you know, that that's a very interesting point because uh, speaking as an old person, uh, <laughs> I remember wearing high heels, but I don't think I'll ever do do it again, and I'm glad you've told me. Now I have a medical reason not to, but uh, you're right, and, you know, it is difficult as you 
I want to say age, but maybe that's not really right, um, that you sometimes, you know, a little pain, a little creak, a little this kind of upsets you. And maybe that is the time then to see an orthopedic surgeon some or, an or you know, go to your physician, whoever you go to, and ask about it. Because um, you do start when you, let's say, you're walking down steps and you feel a little uncertain or you step off a curb and kind of slip and you feel a little pain. Maybe that's something you should see an orthopedist about? Sure. That is uh, a great time to give us a call and get checked out because not only are you suffering unnecessarily, you may also be increasing your risk of falls. And so there's two sort of uh, epidemics that we deal with in orthopedics that go under the radar. One is osteoporosis, which is endemic in American society Mm -hmm. and around the world, I suppose. And a lot of that is related to um, modifiable risk factors and There are a lot of good treatments for that, for osteoporosis that have come along over the last couple of decades that people really may not be aware of. So the combination of osteoporosis and increased risk of falls uh, creates a lot of of problems. Well, you know, and it is kind of a thing that we're concerned with, and all of us want to start exercising and walking the dog and you know, uh, maybe riding a bicycle. What about something like riding a bicycle? Can can you go back to that sometime? Oh, actually, that's a great rehabilitation uh, method for any type of joint replacement once we've sort of given you the all clear to do that, which usually you can start doing within six weeks of surgery if everything's going typically. Uh, So we really like bicycling as well as swimming and exercising in water. You don't have to be able to swim even uh, because that unweights the weight-bearing joints and enables you to do a lot more exercise than you can on dry land with all the weight on the joints. So we, I always tell patients that, that when I rank how they should exercise, of course, these are arthritis patients. Sure. I tell them, first, think about water, if that's possible. Not everybody has access, but if you can. Secondly, I think bicycling is excellent, either a stationary bike or outside bike. And then third is walking on level ground or using something like an elliptical machine that keeps your feet on the ground and doesn't involve any impact loads to the joints. That's sort of the hierarchy of exercise that I tell my patients to do. And and I always tell them that anybody with arthritis on their x-rays uh, shouldn't run unless something's chasing them. <laughs> so keep away from those bears. Yeah, right. it's. Um, I, I think we sometimes we think of pain as being just part of aging or I've done something, I've twisted my ankle or, oh, no, I must, I hit my knee. Uh, but perhaps it can be something more serious that would really, you know, involve surgery. Uh, do you have other ways? You know, there's when you when someone comes in to see you, you're going to evaluate fully whether surgery or are there other kinds of things? I think we talked about this a little earlier, but let's go over that. In other words, things that maybe don't require surgery, but do require a look-see and maybe some changes. Right. So I think of treatments for arthritis pain in the hips and knees as being on sort of a pyramid. So at the bottom, you have the vast majority of people who are able to control their pain with things like 
activity modifications that aren't too disruptive to their lifestyle, uh, medications that are very benign like Tylenol, mm-hmm. um, or even or even some herbal supplements that have anti-inflammatory effects. And then you start to move up the pyramid and um, to things like anti-inflammatory medications, which is a huge subject that uh, we won't get too deep into <laughs> no. right now, but just to say that you know, I worry a lot about people just taking too much uh, ibuprofen and uh, naproxen and things like that on their own because there are some significant side effects that can happen there. And then we move up to the next level, which is usually injections. Uh, we have two different kinds of injections for the knee. Cortisone, which is the ultimate anti-inflammatory, much more potent than Advil and Aleve, uh, and also different kinds of gels that lubricate the inside of the joint. Other things that are injectable are sort of newer treatments that are very individualized and not nearly as widespread as those things. And then at the very top of the pyramid, you have the small fraction of people that end up getting joint replacement. It's been estimated that only about 10 or 15% of people in the population that, that would be good candidates for joint replacements actually come and get them. So there are, despite the fact that we do almost a million hip and knee replacements in the U.S. every year, um, we still have a significant number of people out there who are just suffering in silence. And, um, you know, those are the people we want to see. Well, you know, too, from what I've heard, and I think kind of elaborate on this, it's really one of the most, both hip and knee replacements or joint or whatever you do, uh, they're the most successful, ranked as most successful operations um, that you can get. In other words, there's not too much danger. I I shouldn't underestimate that. But, um, you know, you're you're liable to come out with a good outcome rather than any other outcome. Am I right about this? That's right. That's true. And, you know, one of the reasons that I'm so happy and proud to do hip and knee replacement is that when you measure the outcomes according to a result that we refer to as a quality-adjusted life year, Q-A-L-Y, Callies, um, that's a combination of adding years to your life and life to your years uh, rather than just looking at increased longevity. Uh, total hip and total knee replacement are the numbers one and two most successful major wow. surgical interventions ever devised. And so some of my other colleagues that do different types of surgeries might turn up their nose and sniff at me for saying that. But <laughs> no. uh, but that's really what the data shows is that these are the most successful surgical interventions that have ever been devised. And as you say, that's not to discount the small percentage of can be very serious complications, mm-hmm. which is why... You don't come and have this unless you really have significant limitations in your activities. And you're not going to have it if you go to a, a physician who will tell you, good idea, bad idea, um, isn't there? I mean, that's, you know, that's why you go to a doctor is to find out. I don't make the decision whether I'm going to have an operation or not. I have to talk to someone who knows a lot more than I do. So um, I, I think this is wonderful. And do you see at Oshner an increase in patients kind of coming in and looking at the options about I'm having a pain? I mean, has there been a, an increase after the pandemic? I kind of worry about this pandemic, letting things go or, you know, ignoring things that perhaps are very important to either your life or certainly the happiness that you have. Right. We are starting to see things come back post-pandemic. 
it's clear that people have been neglecting uh, health-related matters, checkups, cancer screenings are down. Whoa! Uh, yeah, that's um, that's been a that's probably going to show up as a major consequence of the pandemic over the next couple of years. Uh, most people have gained weight. Well, almost half in one survey <laughs> have Alliance. gained weight, which is making the knees hurt more. And then I've seen a lot of patients who have said, oh, oh no, I've gained weight. I'm going to go exercise. And they start too fast and too hard, and they cause problems and pain and come in because of that. So it's a good idea if you feel like it's time to get back out and sort of live live life more fully post-pandemic. If you're thinking of starting an exercise program, Talk to your medical professionals, get some advice about that. Uh, but I think we are starting to see things come back, and we're getting pretty close to our pre-pandemic levels of patient volume now. Well, that's really good news. Um, yeah. I can tell you that it seems to me that I haven't – I'll go to my doctor regularly when I need to. But, um, you know, I hate to think about anybody who – feels poorly and then just say, well, I don't know whether I want to go to the doctor or not, but you should. I want to, I think we see now that my time is running out. This has been an interesting conversation and a, a difficult conversation, but I want people to hear it and to know that now's the time and it's never going to be sooner or later. You better get out there and do it now. And, um, see you all at Oshner or see your doctor. And this, Dr. Wolf, thank you so much for all you've done and all that you've been able to share with us. Um, you're, at, you're at Oshner, Dr. Michael Wolf. Uh, is there a number that you'd like to give out or would you just prefer for everyone to call Oshner and uh, talk to you and your... Tell me what your group... Do you have a group? Is that name... Right. Well, we're the Department of Orthopedic Surgery, um, and we have subspecialists in every area of orthopedic surgery. And we um, basically appointments all through one number. Uh, the main Oxner number will get you an appointment with any of us. Sure. Or you can talk to your primary care doctor, or you can go online uh, at uh, Oxner and get an appointment pretty easily through the internet as well. And the last thing I would leave everybody with Please. is get vaccinated. If oh. you haven't been vaccinated for COVID-19 yet, talk to your doctor. If there's no reason not to, get it done. Thank you so much, because that's that's a really good warning. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Dr. Wolf. I've really enjoyed this. I'm uh, To me, it's a very serious issue, and I'm, I'm glad we were able to talk about this for a few minutes, and uh, I hope that people will take your advice and get vaccinated, and I hope that people will also take your advice and get healthy and go see you if they are feeling not healthy. Thank you so very much. Thank you. This has been Public Affairs on WRBH. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.